0: You may need to clean the wax out of your hose. All these developments that need interpreting on every front. Aerial view with
1: Chris live. End times talk radio. Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern East time, East time. Call seven six zero four two two five 2, five two eight pound. Uh,
0: sometimes I hear you speaking in here when I know there's nobody in here but you. Let him have it, Chris. Yes. Let him have it, Chris. Let him have it, Chris. There's a button There's a switch for everything. What's that? You're listening to Aerial View Worldwide on the Internet. No tricks, not this. Careful, what's no gonna happen. <laughs> so, how y'all doing oh, oh, you will do it alright?
1: Come on, you know better than that. How will do it alright This is <sighs> $100. It's <sighs> Make sure, you them, excuse me, make sure you have the record player on. Site. What kind of the Make sure the kids hear words. Play, play the radio. Really
2: make sure
1: many, many On both the light program and I'm to talk to people. Let's clear the yeah. Open. Yeah. You might this man go on the air deliver a coded message? Shut up, You're out of your mind. Oh, I'm not out of my mind. Oh, come on. Now, we're going to listen to what he said. on the air. Because all we're dealing with here, after all, is talk show time against a man's life. I don't see that as any argument. I can see you're really upset about this. It's all right. It's okay. Something to live for. You speak English on. Dearest Holy steady Chris, up. stand up and wiggle your hips for us. I know that guy. But we're young and bored. Yeah, he's a an nihilist. And I'll smash your face for you, y'all Let you stop that, huh? Stop it! Shut up! Conversation is a two way street. i I don't get you, I don't get your act at all, and I don't think you do either. don't Excuse think you know what you're trying to do you or how to go about it. You're stupid. I heard it over the radio. Real stupid. I'm not just talking about one person, I'm talking about everybody. I'm talking about form, I'm talking about content, I'm talking about interrelationships, I'm talking about God, devil, do you understand? Finally! I'm you take me off now over for any other space time? I'm a famous radio personality now. Most people today couldn't care less about the radio personalities. I couldn't agree with you more. He's always talking about some radio star that I never heard of. you don't like my stories, you don't have to listen to my program. Listen to the radio. Find out what's going on. Listen to the talk shows, and you will find out what's going on at this time. Oh man. talk radio? Yes, talk radio. It's so boring. Yeah. Man. Okay, okay. The car just is mean, suicide. Okay. I have an idea now. First name, Mr. Good. I just hope this man realizes that being able to communicate with people all over the world carries a serious responsibility. Come on, baby. Show the man your power, baby. Blast him! Give him some of that tone! Oh, man. It's showtime. <laughs> Won't you smile while we kiss for this? Good evening. Ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience, very auspicious beginning. Sure, it's a talk show. You know, people phone in and make a beef. Oh, what about whatever happens to my That's what you talk about. Sometimes he agrees with the caller. Other times he sets the script. Any station receiving coming, please, Mayday.
2: First thing to say is, the plague's in the fucking camp. Plague.
0: Dolly's with that drummer. I'm afraid he give her plague.
3: Which drummer? This drummer? Oh, I hope not. I hope Dolly didn't get the plague off the drummer. That would be terrible. It's me, Chris T. Here at the Aerial View HQ with another Aerial View, a phone-in talk show. It takes place on The Hound. NYC.com and uh, has been around in one form or another since 1989. Dear God. Dear God, how does he do it? How does he do it week after week? Climb out on the high wire like that. I used to do this three hours a day, five days a week, under very trying circumstances. I wrote all about it in my last newsletter because the two-year anniversary of me getting... Shit canned was on Monday. And I've been through some changes in those two years. I'll tell you what, but I ain't never, I ain't never seen anything like this here coronavirus. This is some fucked up shit. And I am, uh, I am at sea, as the expression goes. I'm at sea. I wish I was at sea. Stuck here on land with everybody else living through this fucking dystopian. Nightmare! Wondering, all of us wondering, when
0: will it end, when will it end, where's the end, how do we know it's going to end? Is that a train or light at the end of the tunnel?
3: Tonight we're going to spread out, spread out across the United States a little bit, leave Weehawken, New Jersey behind, and venture out to Burbank, California first as we talk to uh, W. Earl Brown who uh, was Dan Doherty on Deadwood, among many other roles. Maybe I'll have uh, W. Earl run down with some of his bona fides, if that's what you need. You need that kind of thing. You need a little IMDB. And um, W. Earl Brown will join us to talk about what's going on in movie and TV production out there in Tinseltown, La La Land. Hollyweird, whatever the hell you want to call it. Uh, But a very important American town, Hollywood. Very important, especially now as we're all consuming shit tons of entertainment. Everybody wanting to know, what shows should I watch? What podcast should I listen to? I have definite ideas on both of those matters. And I would start with Deadwood, one of my all-time favorite shows. If you've never seen it, now is the time. Lock your... Well, you're already locked inside, I guess, so you don't have to do that part. But uh, strap on a television, whatever that means to you nowadays. Laptop, craptop, wall mount, Walmart, whatever it might be. And uh, you could binge on Amazon Prime. Deadwood. And uh, W. Earl Brown, why not call... Let's just cut to the chase and call him right now what do you say screw it what are we waiting for what am I waiting for like I'm going to tell you what's going on over here rather talk to Earl see about what's going on over there and uh, later on in the program Chris Butler who I first met uh, when I moved to Hoboken Low these many many years ago I think it was around 1992 1993 see if we can get W. Earl on the phone. Hello? W. Earl Brown?
0: Hey, man. How you doing, Chris?
3: Can't complain? Well, you know, I can complain, but we'd be here for an hour.
0: (laughs) Uh, You ever seen any shit
3: like this? Plague has come to camp!
0: (laughs) That's right. Yeah. Yep.
3: I was just talking up Deadwood for a moment, and the last time we spoke was when the Deadwood movie hit, which I think was last June thereabouts on hbo uh,
0: may may 30th may 30th I mean, we're almost to the year yeah yeah may 30th was the premiere day and uh we started doing press stuff right around this time
3: and it was a wonderful time um for me as a deadwood fan but especially for you as one of the one of the cast members to be able to reconvene with those people and and see something through that you never thought would be seen through um, we no, didn't. Right. We didn't talk after the show. We talked before the show. So after the show, how do you, how did you gauge the response? Were, were most people thrilled? Well, the bits.
0: Yeah, I mean the response was overwhelmingly positive. Um, I and I will preface this by saying I'm, I am pleased with the end result. I wish I could see the original version, David Milch's first version. Um, there was a there was a cut that was two hours and twenty minutes long. And it played much more like the series. And um, HBO, they they screened it. They tested it with some audiences. And they found that audience members who knew the show loved it. But audience members that didn't know the show were lost with certain plot points.
3: Well, I say so fuck those people. They
0: wanted they wanted a, a re-edit. Um, and there was there was a, a back and forth that went on for a few weeks that I, I knew was happening, but I wasn't really privy to. Um, so I, I wish... The, all of those scenes that were cut out uh, would have been included, that I could see them somewhere, including Doherty's big scene. Um, but not just for my sake. I, I would love to see that original cut. Now, as I said at the beginning of this, I'm pleased with the film. I, it was a blessing to be back there with everybody, you know, to uh, to share that time again and to get a chance to say hello, which we had not been able to do 13 years prior.
3: And how is um, uh, The Master? How is David Milch?
0: Uh, he's not well. Yeah. Um, he, uh, I, 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 don't want to give away any, you know, private, um, info, but I mean, it's public knowledge that he has Alzheimer's mm-hmm. and it's, it's taking its toll. I had lunch with him in January and, and just to, to put it in his own words. And it was, a, it was a very good day when I was there. Um, he was at himself the whole time mm. But uh, toward the end of lunch, he said, let me tell you, uh, the, uh, uh, oh, oh God, let me make sure I get this right. The, oh, the indignities of decrepitude are boundless.
3: That (laughs) is such an Um, Al-Swearingen line. I mean, that sounds like something Al said. And in the final, you know, in the Deadwood movie, Al does... Um, there there are shadings yeah. of what's b- going to be fall Al, and it's it's roughly analogous to what befell.
0: Well, it's da- it, that's that's David dealing with his own, you know, autumn or winter, as it were. Um, you know, that was really David dealing, writing about himself. It's, which the show was. I mean, I always thought Swearingen was David. Yeah. Um, you know, very much, very much like David,
3: yeah.
1: and
0: um. So yeah, when the movie came about, um, you know, thematically he said to us, you know, he said the, what this, at the core of this, um, generations past change hands. One generation dies, another generation is born and community continues. Um, so that's what it was like when we were there filming those big scenes and when we were all together was just... Um, well, just a blessing.
3: Does that give you any solace right now those words because this is we're going through a dark passage right now, you know. Yeah. And so does does anything he said to you about the subject of um, one generation passing and community remaining help you with any of this cuz this is a bad time we're going through right now.
0: Um what we're living at the moment? I mean, oh, we I mean, we dealt with it in the show. I mean, you, you, you mentioned it when, when we started Plagues Come to Camp. You know, right. We had episode that three-episode arc, which Season really one. happened. Yeah. It really happened in Deadwood. Um, so, you know, we're just living it now. Um, I, I try to take every day, you know, it's a Ray Wiley Hubbard lyric, but I love it. Every day that my gratitude is higher than my expectation, I have a good day. So I just try to accept the blessings as they've come and um just weather the storm man
3: now um, um you know you and i uh we we've uh talked a few times we've met a few times um and i i, th- you know, I know a bit about you i didn't know that you knew john prine and that you yeah. um, were a john prine fan for many many years and you wrote very movingly about the loss of john prine from this thing um on your facebook page and yeah. Um, have you had any more reflection on, you know, the price we're going to pay well, before this that is all was over? One,
0: well, I said of, you know, I knew John for 20 years before I ever met him. <laughs> At least that's what it felt like. Um, you know, his, a story I told that I wrote about on a social media post in an essay, but I, um, I was more of an ACDC Van Halen kind of guy, senior year in high school. We'd gone camping for spring break, and me and my buddy Lou went down and set up the tent early, and it came a bad, bad rainstorm. So we're huddled in the tent, and he brought his boombox, and he had John Prine's greatest hits. Um, looking back, I remember there were actually two. There was AC/DC's Dirty Deeds and Prime Prine, and it was like his brother's tape. And I'm like, I don't want to listen to that shit, man. I, put on, rock, man. Let's, and listening to Prine, hearing Sam Stone for the first time. Um, you know that line, "Jesus Christ died for nothing," I suppose, just hit me like a hammer. So that kind of opened me up to to of different kind of music. Um, so I met John. He was a Deadwood fan, and I met him while the show was still in um, in production, and it was just kind of this instantaneous friendship because I had the Western Kentucky Chicago. You know, Muhlenberg County was not all that far from Callaway County, probably sixty miles, okay, um, from where I grew up. So, um, and then I went to Chicago. I moved from Kentucky to Chicago to go to school and pursue this career. So, you know, it's not like we talked every week, but we talked every few months. We'd touch base, and uh, he'd always invite me to shows. I invited him to come out to the Deadwood movie. Uh, Jason Isbell came out um he's in the big wedding scene
3: right and
0: we had guitars we had three days we had a private Jason Isbell show every day <laughs> you know we all played and sang but everyone was excited to, you know to hear jason and i invited john to come and take part in that because he was a mentor to to isbel um and unfortunately he said you know he said man i'm having more success than i've had ever and he said you got to fry you got to fry your eggs while well, the skillet's hot and my skillet's really hot right now. <laughs> so he was on tour, you yeah. know. He was he was raking it in while he could. That that was what was so nice to see. I mean, it's a brilliant record. And I know Isbel told me they had to force him to finish it. Yeah. You know, I think his wife rented a hotel room and at the Omni in Nashville and put him in it. And left all of his notes in a paper bag and went. You're not coming out of here until this record is written. Um, and I think it's it's a brilliant, brilliant record. Um, and it broke my heart that um, he didn't have to die. And yeah, he did. And um, breaks my heart and makes me angry.
3: You know, I, I'm but, dealing with hey, I'm dealing with a lot of that too. I wanted to just compare. You know, why we're angry. I'm I'm angry because of the people i see who because they belong to an alternate news universe don't really believe this is what it is and they aren't really they're not down with the program for lack of a better way of putting it and they're at risk of causing a death of like many more people and i'm i'm angry about how badly it was bungled how the 60 to 70 mm-hmm. to 80 days were wasted while yeah. something could have been done to put a cap on this and i'm mad about the spin that's now being put on this by uh the president and and his and his son-in-law who are mm-hmm. trying to downplay what will end up being a hundred thousand people dead who knows but they go mm-hmm. they're going around saying it's not 2.2 2 million as if that's a thing are we angry about the same things
0: yes we are yeah we're we're america damn it we we were one, once upon a time, we were the world's superpower. Once upon a time, we were the world's leader. Well, now we are the world's hotspot for a virus that we knew was coming. You know, I the analogy I used is if, if somebody got in the office and said, you know what? We're not in a war. We haven't really declared war since World War Two. II. Hell, uh, you know what? We're doing away with the army. I don't need the army. Get rid of the army. Um, and then some were invaded. <laughs> um and you try to scramble and put together... Well, you know, you've known for six weeks that an invasion was coming. Um, and you don't deal with putting together a fighting force then. Um, when Boots hit the ground, then you try to put together a fighting force. Well, that's what we're dealing with here, you know? Um,
3: I know, the, and I... The,
0: the, the team that would respond to this, we're all let go.
3: We're, you
0: know, we don't need them.
3: Um, so... Well, when you yeah. look at your home state, when you look at Kentucky, you're from Western Kentucky. When you look at Kentucky, are, does it? Uh, are you disappointed in the way things are being handled there? Do you feel like maybe they? Well, the, their governor, I mean, he's
0: right there with Cuomo. You know, he shut down the state. That's why their their cases are a third of what Tennessee's are.
3: Okay.
0: Um, of course, now there's there's the he's starting to suffer the backlash because people are getting bored. Yeah. Um,
3: Armed so. protesters at the state house in Michigan, I mean you know they're demanding oh what I mean demanding what I mean these are a lot of preppers, a lot of these people, and you would think they'd be uh-huh. okay with hunkering in place for a few months, but instead yeah. they're like i can't See, this is what you you've been preparing for for years, man, <laughs> this
0: and this is it, and now do you, you got get your to... bunker, you got your food, man right, and now you're fucking bored because you can't you want to go get a haircut. You want to go down to Buffalo Wild Wings?
3: I think, uh, yeah. we, I, you know, I, I always wonder because I feel like, um, you know, there's two things going on here. One of them is the propaganda arm of the Republican Party, namely Fox News and all of its, uh, you know, all of its stepchildren, how, whoever you want to call them. But they they... they there is no more agreed upon news source in this country, so there's no more agreed upon set of facts. And no. everybody, whether you're rural or city, or red or blue state, no. you might have your own facts. I I believe that one of those set of facts is the real set of facts, and the other one is the imposter. It's it's like what's well, my if, line? If you watch if
0: you watch Fox News, like Shep Smith, um, uh, Chris. Um, uh, Uh, What's his Uh, name? Chris Wallace. Chris Wallace. The news programs are actually okay. They're actually pretty good and informative. It's the problem is you got four hours of news surrounded by twenty hours of opinion, and you have an audience that can't differentiate between the two.
3: Yeah, do they Um, think that Sean? You have twenty hours
0: of opinion telling them what this means, what it means, and the take on it, and what it. And so, so you're predisposed to view the news in a certain way. Um, and you don't have the sophistication of knowing the difference between an opinion show um, and a news show. And then they are also ratings-driven, and this is on both sides of the coin, the sensationalism of news. Um,
3: it's,
0: its It's just –
3: well, it's look. Disgusting. I mean, uh, Patty, that, that's
0: what it's what it's devolved
3: to. Uh, Patty Chayefsky, uh, famously with with Network, you know, he he sort of uh, predicted this fusion of entertainment and news. What would happen when news yeah. became entertainment? And 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 we're yeah. seeing it play out. And and we, and the other thing I think is the internet and, and handheld devices and the speed at which bullshit gets spread around now. I mean, it just, uh-huh. I, I, I'm i really, it's disappointing because, you know, I was on the trucking channel for 12 years at SiriusXM, and, and I still know a lot of truck drivers. They're friends of mine on Facebook. And I get into it with them again and again because they believe some of the most ludicrous shit. and you And you just want to say to them, come on, really, do you really think that George Soros, you know, funded a lab or that Bill Gates did this or that. I mean, what, what is, where are you, you reading this stuff? Yeah. Well,
0: both sides have their boogeymen. Yeah. You know, the Koch brothers were the boogeyman for the left. Yeah. You know, the Koch brothers are the same, same side of the corn as George Soros on the other side. Yeah. Um, you know, my question in all of that with, okay, follow the money. Yeah. Where's the money lie? Well, is somebody profiting, are they profiting off of this thing that they are pushing?
3: Well, as, um, as I, I, And
0: if they are making money off of it, then let's view them with skepticism.
3: One-year-old? Uh, y- yeah. yeah. I, I was going to say one-year-old to uh, Deadwood colleagues, Titus Williver, is back in Bosch mm-hmm. on uh, Amazon Prime. And there's a line in there, in the new season of Bosch, where he says, who benefits? And, and, and that's what it comes, when you're doing the detective work, ask yourself who benefits. I think that's... That's a great question to ask as well. Um, but, you know, I I, call, I wanted to call you. I wanted to talk to you because of movie and TV production. I was saying earlier that Hollywood is a very important town in terms of America. Uh, people like to run it down who don't understand, I think, on some level, the economic engine it is. There are currently a lot of people who are unable to work. Uh, unless you're like a friend of mine yeah. who is in Nic- at Nickelodeon and working in animation, it's really hard to do anything involving live action right now. So can you give us a bit of a report, uh, Earl, if you don't mind, about the state of movie and TV production right now? Well, you know, all
0: I really know is what I'm reading in the trades. You know, they're discussing all sorts of ways of, of resuming production. And you know the new set protocols, and and what do we do? No one has decided, and no one knows because it's yet to be attempted. You know the I was well, we had a deal. I did a screen test. I, I don't want to go into what it is, but it, it's 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 it, it's a pretty big deal. And I did a screen test for it on March the 9th. and we had a deal in place for that and a sequel, and we were supposed to be going to Bulgaria uh, starting uh, May. May the 4th, I think something like that was cameras roll. Um, so I figured it, hell, but about this time I'd be packing my bags to go over there. Well, I don't even know if the movie's getting made now. We can't get an answer. And, and I said, all, you know, all of the cards are tossed up in the air, not just of the actual physical production, but your, your financing deals that you have together, you know, this movie, um, I'm not sure where all they got their money, but, um, you know, if that company, if there's, if there's a physical problems, um, well, the money might not be there to produce. So who knows? All of the cards are tossed in the air um, on, on all sides. So what's being discussed is like for location shoots that you basically, we, we all go in mass. We all stay in the same hotel. We don't uh, go outside. You're basically sequestered with your production crew. And everybody is tested. Um, um, Make sure that everybody's not – no one's uh, asymptomatic carrying the virus or they they, um, – as long as they're not contagious and or sick. So – but how do you go into play? So, okay, if that happens and then one of your actors or lead actors happens to catch the bug somewhere and get sick, well, what does that do to your production insurance? To – so – yeah, it's it's a brave new world and no one has figured it out, but we do have to get back going at some point. Yeah, um, which I think will be in the next month or so. And, and you know, I'm, I'm I am lucky in that my wife, she works for Disney streaming division. Um, and, of course, they're they're busy. They're pedal to the metal. Right. Um, but all the other divisions in Disney are shut down, you know, so. Um, she's can you, working from home can at you, the home office.
3: Can you give Carrie a message for me? Would you mind? Could sure. You, could you tell her more
0: Mandalorian?
3: I, I I'm out of Mandalorian. <laughs> I'm fresh out of Mandalorian. So well, you know, I,
0: I can tell you there is a second season, and I can tell you it will come on in October.
3: And um, who's casting that show? Because Amy Sedaris popped up in Mandalorian. I was floored. And and the casting is is pretty damn good. Do you know Amy? I do. Do you
0: know Amy? Yes. Well, then let me me just say that Amy is not the only person that you know that is in (laughs) Mandalorian. (laughs) So let's just leave it at that. Okay. Let's just leave it at that. I'll
3: leave it right there. Um, So uh, (laughs) what about Dad Band? Because you could be writing right now. So are you drilling down on that? Because you did the short Dad Band in 2018 and... Yeah. Uh, you and I have talked, and you said it's you, you'd like to expand it. So are you able to sit and get some time yeah, to write? We have,
0: well, right now, Ted had the idea. He plays Abel in the show. Um, he emailed me two, three weeks ago, right when this madness was really kicking into gear. And uh, he goes, let's do another dad band, except it's a Zoom meeting. We're trying to have a rehearsal on Zoom.
3: So, oh, yeah.
0: I called Jerry. Jerry's recording an album, Jerry Cantrell. Right. And so he basically, he, he moved the studio to his house. So he's continuing to work and he's, he's in the midst. He goes, hopefully in a couple of weeks, I'll have some time. So hopefully soon we will get to rehearse and then just hit record and, and get a, get another one on YouTube, the YouTube, we've got over a million views. Uh, and the response has been incredibly positive. Um, we wanted to make very funny. ten half-hour episodes, but we trying to find financing in a deal, trying to get a TV deal, is next to impossible.
3: And, and so, do you mean especially I'm, right now? It's it's next to impossible, or pre even previously it was next to impossible. Yeah.
0: yeah. So I'm I'm right now I'm writing a a feature version of it so that we could hopefully get independent financing. It's a feature. I mean, we could make it for a couple of million bucks, right. Um and you know, Jerry's a rock star.
3: So um, He's an Alice change mark- chains for God's sakes. He must have that laying around the house. Just ask him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't you do a video of theirs, by the way? Was that you? Yeah. Yeah. I did well, I did Jerry and I are longtime buddies. I mm-hmm. met him I met
0: him around the time I met John Prime when, when Deadwood was going on. Is he helping um, you
3: play that Ibanez Iceman that somebody sent you? I was so goddamn jealous. I yeah. wanted an Ibanez Iceman. Yeah. Forever. I haven't
0: showed it to him yet. Yeah, the next next yeah. time I go up to the house. I play poker at his house.
3: Yeah. Somebody so sent Earl a nineteen seventy-nine Ibanez Iceman with the mm. uh super eighty pickups in it. Man, that's yep. a nice that's a nice guitar. That's a good and fan. It
0: plays it plays so well. It plays like my Les Paul. I got a Les Paul custom. Yeah. And it plays that easy. I'm just I'm in love with that guitar.
3: Oh, they made good um, guitars, Ibanez, mean, especially when they decided to make their own. You know, that was like the first yeah. shot over the bow. That was, that was, was the Gibson Iceman ripoffs? Yeah, right. Because I had a I, I had an Ibanez Les Paul copy when I was a kid. It was a good guitar, but it was no. Yeah, Ice my man.
0: buddy Jeff. He he's got the uh, the uh, Destroyer, yeah. which was the ripoff of the Gibson Explorer.
3: Right. They oh. they made and I think this was go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say they made the rocket roll, which was their flying V, and they made the destroyer, which was their epiphone. I envied both of those when I was a kid. And uh, yeah. then they came out with the Iceman, which is like a you know, of course, Paul Stanley adopted it. He played that guitar for many, many years. There's now a Paul Stanley model. So was that why you like, hey, get me an ice man. Somebody send me an ice
0: well, what? no, what's so funny? I've gotten to know the Kiss guys, and I've gone to several shows on this farewell. And I went to the cruise and stuff, and I know a lot of the guys that work for them. Um, and I say I know them; I mean, I've met them. And I, I kn- Tommy, is friends with with Jerry, so I see him at Jerry's house at parties and stuff. Um, but um, on the cruise, I met Paul's assistant and Paul's tech. Walk down the hall, and and he stops me. He goes, "You, you W. O. Brown? I said, yeah." you're Kiss fan? I went, well, why the hell would I be on this cruise? <laughs> so, I met those guys. So, Francis, well, I'm, I'm social media connected to them. Yeah. And, uh, we we were talking about, oh, I forget what it was, and I asked him, because Paul sells, you know, those, the, the Paul Stanley models. Right. And I said, yeah, I've always kind of wanted one. I said, a few years ago, I found one that was relatively inexpensive, um, and I kind of wish I'd bought it. And, so we're talking about the models, this, that, and the other, and uh, and he said, "Yeah, Paul's got them for sale on the website." Well, I look—I mean, they're massively expensive, you know, they're autographed and shit. And uh, I said, "Yeah, yeah I'm going to wait a few years." So I swear to God, within days, this was through um, uh, Instagram. There was a guy who who had written to me. Um, or, no, maybe, maybe it was Twitter. It was social media, but. Um, We'd corresponded. He goes, Oh yeah, see, um, you're big you love KISS because I'd posted photos of a KISS concert. He goes, I used to have an Ibanez guitar like Ace played and I said, Well, oh, that wasn't Ace. Paul played the Ibanez. Ace always pretty much played Les Paul. Les Paul. Triple yes.
3: pickup Les Paul, yeah.
0: And and he said, Yeah, I I had that years ago. Well then a couple of days later, he gets back to me in a message. He goes, I went to my storage. I still have it. I found it. Do you want it? Like, Wait, well, Huh? He goes, I, I don't play it. You know, I'd rather, if you're going to play it, I'll give it to you. I'll send it to That's you. That's
3: nice. What a nice <laughs> dude.
0: Yeah. Did you send and him any a, Deadwood stuff? Was it's he an like, IC200. It, it's not the bolt-on neck. It's no. It's the one with the inlaid neck. And they That's smooth. it's got such great sustain and they stuff, it, like the, a Les
3: Paul. It's got a smooth heel on it, too, didn't they, on that guitar? They smoothed the heel, the transition from the neck to the body. It's a, it's a very well-made yeah. instrument. Yeah. It's a yeah. beautiful instrument. They do.
0: The, the 300 is Carina wood, which is a neck-through construction.
3: Yes. Like, a, like oh. a
0: Firebird. I haven't seen one of those. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the body of the guitar is carved into the neck. And this one's the two hundred. It's got the inlay. This I'm it, not sure how far into the body the inlay goes because I know with Les Pauls they're different depending on the model. Yeah. That's why I, I bought the custom because the inlay goes pretty much to the to the first pickup. I can't um, be that
3: jealous because one time a guy gave me a 1970 orange amp, a, an orange overdrive. He just said, "Take it." I was I was helping <laughs> another friend deliver a Randall amp to this to this guy, and I saw it in the corner. I said, "Nice orange amp," and he said, "You want it? Take it." And I rolled it home, <laughs> and I've had it ever since. So I can't be that jealous. I'm sorry. I, I want to be jealous, but I can't. But listen, have Jerry show you some great stuff. And, and you two write a song called Fraley and Frampton, because those two are responsible for the desecration of more Les Pauls than anyone you could possibly imagine. Everybody had to have three goddamn humbuckers in their guitar.
0: Triple pickup. That's right.
3: Yes, and they gouged it. They gouged them. They they ruined them. They took those lists. I have a 1968 Les Paul. Somebody went all uh, Peter Frampton on it before I got it. So instead of being worth like oh fifteen thousand dollars, twenty thousand, it might be worth three or four thousand dollars. But hey, yeah, that's uh,
0: you got a '68 one of those original bodies. I got a 1968. Oh yeah, that'd be worth a lot of money. if, oh, it, yeah. if it wasn't.
3: Screwed oh, up. if it wasn't fucked over, you're right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Um, My
0: buddy Pete's got one. Um, his, I think it's a '68. Right when they resumed production, those old bodies they had left over that were air drying, air dried, not kiln dried. Yeah, you know,
3: um, I, I, Gibson factory told me it came out of the factory in July of 1968. So uh, they mm-hmm. could pretty much tell me to the day. But you know, now we've gone down the gear hole, and we're talking about gear and. Um, I gotta uh, I gotta get going, W Earl Brown. It's always a pleasure talking to you though. I, I do appreciate right, you spending you too, some plan. time because uh I don't know if you know Christopher Butler, but he was in the waitresses. He wrote I Know What Boys Like and yeah. Christmas Wrapping. Oh, um he also yeah. was at Kent State fifty years ago, May 4th. And along with Joe Walsh and Chrissy Hind and Jerry Casale from Devo, who were all there during that demonstration, Chris Butler was there and He's going to give us an eyewitness view of what happened 50 years ago in Ohio. Uh, so we're going to talk to him now. But but Earl, take care of yourself, man. Take care of your family as well.
1: All right, you All right. too. It's always good Later. to talk to you.
3: There goes W. Earl Brown in Burbank. And uh, we're just going to really quickly pivot to uh, getting Chris Butler on the line there in Ohio. That's the sound that Skype makes. Isn't that friendly? Hey. Hey, Chris
2: Butler, how are you? I'm fine, my friend. How are you?
3: Good. I was just wrapping up with W. Earl Brown. In my fantasies, we're all having a beer together at some point, and we're all realizing the things that we have in common.
2: I would uh, love that. I would love the beer right now. I would
3: I? love a beer right now, too. Um, <laughs> w. Earl Brown is, uh, he was in the show Deadwood. So, you know, you two could yeah. talk about Deadwood, and then he could ask you all about. Uh, your long-storied musical career. Um, And, uh, you know, one of the things that uh, was really uh, when I first met you that I didn't realize, and it it came about so oddly because um, I can't remember. I I mean, I I know I gave you some framed photographs I had that were taken um, at Kent State on May 4th because I knew a woman whose husband was a photographer, and he knew the photographer who took the pictures. And they were pictures that that photographer himself had, had printed and yes. they came into my possession and I passed them to you. And I don't know, did I know at that moment that you had actually been there on that day or.
2: Well, this is where we're going back to when, uh, the station, you know, was at Uppsala campus and hanging in uh, one of the rooms was John Philo's famous, um, Famous photograph of um Mary um Mary Becchio, uh screaming over Jeff Miller's body. And it was the full print without the um the crop that usually happens. So there were a few other people in the picture. And I was always I was always surprised that it was in the studio um because it's uh it's a pretty horrible picture. Um not not the technique technique but the content of course and and i believe that's how we got in the discussion and that's how you wound up giving me thank you those amazing pictures uh, i of course still have them and um, um, now those, those are pulitzer prize winning photographs by the way absolutely absolutely john i i i did not know him and and we email every once in a while and and uh, that's 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 about it but Yeah, he was in, we were all in the wrong place at the wrong time, but he was in the wrong place at the wrong time at the right time Um, and snapped a whole bunch of uh, pictures the entire day and just happened to capture that horrible scene.
3: Now, uh, that horrible scene being the massacre in Ohio and at Kent State on May 4th. Uh, thirteen seconds, sixty-three shots over thirteen seconds. Um, and you sent me something from the Pittsburgh Post Gazette where they talk about the Kent State shooting and how it changed, uh, among other things, music history. But um, I I was surprised to learn. I I knew about you being there, and I I was aware that uh, Jerry Casal was there as well. Uh, Chrissy Hind and and Joe Walsh. I was not aware of uh and so it's this membrane that connects you all in this very painful and immediate way um and you wrote very movingly on your social media about how you around this time every year you you begin to experience this odd form of pts i won't even add the d because it's not a disorder um can you can you talk about that a little bit
2: Absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, you asked me right away in a friendly way as, as people communicate. How you doing? I said, okay. And I asked you, how you are doing? You said, okay. Well, I was lying. Um, I feel like absolute – I can't cuss, I guess. No, I, you I, you I can feel, curse I, all you I want. I feel, <laughs> I feel terrible. And um, uh, it creeps up on me every time this year. And this is especially – rotten um uh because it's the 50th anniversary um this year and we can't go there and hug our buddies and huddy our hug hug our survivors and i mean we can't you know the idea of great uh, term oh closure no we're not going to get closure this is a opening open festering wound that continues every goddamn year and um it's just particularly lousy this time around for all the, re- all the obvious reasons. Um, yeah, uh, I, after the shootings, um, uh, I, and uh, one of Jeff Miller's roommates, uh, I should just back up one second. I was with Jeff Miller when Jeff Miller was killed or we, well, I was with Jeff Miller the entire day, uh, morning <clears throat> and got separated with him for a second, uh, to go fill a bucket of water, uh, because, uh, People were dipping their bandanas in uh, the water to uh, filter out the tear gas. And you know, the dumb hippie, we didn't—I didn't know that the tear gas was water soluble. Um, anyway, I—I I, I had left him for a second around twelve twenty, whatever. Went over to a, a dorm that had a spigot, and I was refilling my bucket, and then working my way back towards where Jeff was. Um, and uh, uh, where I had left him, and uh, then that's when the shooting started. Now, um, after that, uh, they were uh, Jeff lived at a house with three other roommates, and one of the roommates was um, a fellow named Andy And Andy Novak and I were pals too, and we said we uh, we got to get out of here because. Uh, um, it just felt like uh, the whole thing was collapsing. We had already talked to the FBI. um, We managed to scrape some dough um, and got a little help from my mom. And um, we went to Europe and we went to Europe for two months. And it's it was absolutely a wonderful, incredible Eye-opening uh, uh, adventure, and then I came back, and the school had reopened, but the guard was still on campus, and uh, uh, so I had this incredible, horrible thing happen in, in May. This incredible, wonderful thing happened in uh, June, July, and August, <clears throat> um, and then I came back, and and I had uh, I had a collapse. I had. Uh, PSD does not PTSD sorry, does not necessarily manifest itself right away. but I was back in that environment again with guardsmen all over. And I, I, uh, I had an emotional collapse and um, raging anxiety attacks and I had to drop out of school and I stayed out of school for um, about a year and uh tried to live with my parents tried to work a job i was incapable of doing anything um all i could do was kind of lie in bed and weep and uh gradually i crawled myself out of it and came out of it and, and and went went back to school but i never really came out of it because i kept having anxiety attacks and i had uh, a terrible terrible time for years and years and years and years and it wasn't until um uh you know there was not even a there was not a name ptsd you know uh it wasn't until um uh the f- <laughs> big pharma caught up with the um uh the uh, uh the money that could be made on um serotonin reuptake inhibitors and all of that that I at all began to uh, feel like a, a semi human being and that was you know in the 90s so i had quite a run of of being a mess um i was also um i, sol- I soldiered on because i'm from uh you know uh, tough uh, eastern european and, and southern european Immigrant stock, and that's what we do. Um, but uh, I had a pretty lousy time, and yes, it does kind of come back, you know, sometime mid-April, and I, you know, I get grumpy and irritated and mopey, and uh, um, I, I never seem to know why, and then like, duh, it dawns on me that you know, yeah, you idiot you're you're coming up on that time of year so that's uh i hope that answers your question
3: um it it does uh i i and i you know um uh, i can't imagine actually experiencing something like that seeing a friend a 20 year old man um cut down in the time it takes you to go find a spigot yeah. and uh, <clears throat> We should mention the three other people who lost their lives. And among, there was a lot of people who were wounded as well, but uh, Allison Krauss, 19 years old, uh, William Schroeder, 19 years old, and Sandra Lee Schauer, uh, Scheuer, I should say, age 20, um, and... They all died within moments. Uh,
2: yes. and, and, and and Sandra and Bill were on their way to class. They 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 were just walking through. There's one thing that that is uh, mentioned, but maybe not mentioned enough is that when this new rally happened, that was also the the, the time when um, uh, classes were changing, and so uh, you might have had initially, oh, two three hundred kids uh, at uh, the rally. On May Fourth at at, um, uh, at noon, but then you had you know uh, everyone changing classes, you know right after that. So it looks like these enormous enormous crowd. Well, it, it was an enormous crowd, but all, so many of them were just kind of on their way to their next class and uh, stopped to look at the um, uh, at the activity at the event shall we say, and um, uh, I think somewhere I read that that was, uh, you know, one of the great, we have a wonderful new term for fake news, okay, Um, one of the BS conspiracy things was, oh, there was a crowd of huge people, and well, no, most of them were on their way to class,
3: and some years ago, there was a tape uh, that was analyzed forensically, and right. on the tape, according to the Cleveland plane dealer, uh, who say that there were there there was an order to fire the upon fire, yeah, oh. and and that was in dispute for many years. But the, in two thousand and seven, a, a a recording came to light because there was a, a student uh, Terry Strub, I think, is how you say his name, who put a microphone in his dormitory window, and he ran a tape, and it captured the shooting. And years later, when digital technology advanced, they were able to forensically determine that there indeed was a command to fire upon (laughs) these defenseless
2: people. Well, you know, that's one of those horrible – there are so many horrible aspects about this, not to be Debbie Downer, but – it's just horrible. All right? I don't think you could be Debbie downside. Downer about a
3: government firing on its own people. I mean, that's well, I don't think you could be Debbie Downer about
2: that. It, it was the most amazing uh, cluster, um, Freddie, Uncle Charlie, Katie. Um, you could uh, imagine, but uh, yes, and and the tape. There's the, a the, the division uh, amongst the the, the May Fourth people. Uh, it's very complicated and if there's an order to fire that changes the legal definition of things doesn't it because there's, they were soldiers and if there's an order they can't be charged with murder as, as far as I understand and then there's another uh, group that um, uh, thinks that they just conspired on their own to do it uh, there's another uh, train of thought that things were triggered by um a undercover agent that we all knew about by a guy named Terry Norman. Terry Norman was a photographer and worked for the cops and was a very wannabe cop and worked for the FBI. And he was very wide open about, he would show me the pictures of myself in some crowd somewhere, you know, in the months that that, that um, predated the shooting. So there are a, a number of stories um, the, the ones thankfully that have been discredited are things like there was a sniper or um, uh, well they were uh, in danger uh, they were not in danger all right the rally the thing was over they were in retreat uh, if anything there was laughter from a, a crowd of students because um Uh, It looked like the thing was over. They had previously gotten down on their knees in a practice football field. They being a troop, I believe it was Troop G, I'm not sure, um, got down on their knees and pointed their guns at us. And it was ludicrous because they they had walked themselves into a practice football field that was separated between us and them by a anchor hurricane fence, you know? So there was gonna be no contact between anybody and they were down on their knees and aiming their rifles at us. And we just thought, oh, come on, this is absurd. When I say we, obviously I am um, being pretty subjective, but that that was the set consensus I got from the crowd was like, Pfft, you must be joking. And um, then they decided this was not a very good position to be in. Um, there were a few rocks thrown, not many. I do vividly remember one bouncing off some kid's some guardsman's helmet, Yes, and he was rattled. I get it. well, anyway, they retreated when they went to the top of the hill. It sure did look like they turned on command, whether or not the tape corroborate collaborates that or not, um, I'm not sure. I have to say I don't hear it. I do hear orders being given, but I don't hear I don't hear the F word fire. But that's me. Um uh I I don't know. It looked like they turned as a group. And um Well you uh, mentioned or,
3: Mary Del Vecchio earlier and um in twenty fourteen there was some movement to uh open up a case essentially and to try to get to what happened the Kent State this Truth Federal, Tribunal a, yeah, and uh,
2: Eric? Um, oh shoot! Uh, who was the Attorney General? Um I'm having a brain fart. Uh, right. em-
3: Emily Cunslor and the oh, family yeah, of Allison all, Krauss. They they exactly. tried to World get
2: Kraus. They're con- they're, yeah, they're continuing to lobby, but it was uh, the Attorney General. Uh, but, yeah, they petitioned the D- Department of Justice. And, um, I'm sorry, Eric, uh, I'm, i having a blank.
3: Uh, uh, me too. Uh, I should know that name. I want to okay, know. Well,
2: they, they, they decided not to investigate any further. Um, and, um, that was that.
3: I want to <laughs> ask you before we run out of road about, um, because the article that you sent me from the Pittsburgh post-gazette, yeah. it talks about Neil Young writing Ohio and, and have you and I talked about how, what you thought when you first heard it and the reaction that you had? Did it did it make things worse? Did it did it help a bit? Uh, is it naive to think that a song could provide some kind of well, solace boy, it, 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 at a I'm moment sorry, like that? At a moment like that, it was.
2: Well, you know, it was in the the richest, oldest tradition of folk music. It came. It reflected a current event um uh remember bob dylan uh knocking uh phil oak saying oh he doesn't write songs he reports the news right well this this was in the folk tradition it was news only it was done with electric instruments um i thought it was very powerful i thought it was very uh moving um uh, later on, I began to, to to when I learned something about how the music business works. I began to question um, uh, uh, how um, you know if, if 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 royalty money from this ever found its way uh, to uh, whatever May Fourth Group um, was extant at the time and or continues to be. I don't know if uh, publishing money was given even anonymously. Um, uh, to the Fourth Visitor Center or anything. Um, I do know that uh, uh, David Crosby and Graham Nash have come back to Kent many, many times,
1: mm.
2: and and have played for free. And they were going to uh, they were going to do it again. Well, oh, David Crosby was going to do it. I'm not sure about Nash. Um, David Crosby was going to do it again this year. Mm. Uh, a lot of people were, were were going to play at a at a musical. Event which was cancelled. Um, yeah, I, I I I never had a good answer uh, for that. If any of the royalty money, of the publishing money, of the performance royalty money. Um, ever went uh to families or
3: i don't know uh, but neil Neil young did manage to get devo on snl so i i, I don't yeah. know if that was his way of somehow paying
2: it forward as they say i have no idea but well, maybe yeah uh, uh, yeah it was that's it isn't that an interesting it is connection and, and that's in that article by the way it's a great it's a great great little synopsis of uh of uh of music that came out of that and yeah neil young and devo <laughs> um
3: and, and you know i've talked to joe walsh and I, I i i never knew i mean i wish i had known when i met him and spoke to him um uh, that that he was there but he in the article he has a line that uh you know uh, it just hit me because he was like I, I i figured maybe a degree wasn't worth it like he he yeah. did not return After that, he went off to Cleveland and got into the James James Gang, and you know, Uh, right, right, and ended up selling a guitar to Jimmy Page. So yes, yes, (laughs) that's what happened
2: next. Um, Yeah, the guitar that he played in Kent, the guitar that he played in the James Gang in Kent, with many pictures of it. You know, one of those incredible, you know, sunburst fifties, late fifties, fifty nine Les Paul. Um, which, boy, if I had a time machine, I'd go back and collect as many as I could. Because they,
3: they were dirt cheap. He he sold it to Jimmy Page for $500 probably. Yeah. I mean, probably less than that. Uh, yeah. He might have even given it to him because I, I asked him directly about that. And <laughs> he he said, yeah, well, you know, he asked me if I knew anyone that had a Les Paul. He wanted to buy a Les Paul. And I, I had two of them, so I sold him one.
1: Yeah, and,
2: yeah. yeah. The, the, the last I looked on the 59 Les Paul Sunbursts, uh And uh, as much original condition as uh, $250,000. It's a quarter of a million dollar guitar, it is. Buy a yeah. My house uh, with that guitar.
3: Chris Butler, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. And, and I'm sorry uh, again about the sad anniversary that's coming up on May 4th. Um, as long as I've known you, you've been uh, just an inspiring person, and uh, especially when it comes to your music. Where Thank can you. folks find you if they want to find you online?
2: Oh, I'm one of those Facebook people. It's Christopher Butler. I don't know why I did that too late to change it now. Um, You can start with that. I'm always open to uh, instant uh, messages and all of that. I I love communicating with folks, anybody who wants to check in. Chris, thank you for having me. It's good to talk to you uh, again. love your brother, as they say.
3: Take care. There goes Chris Butler. Thanks again to W. Earl Brown, who was uh, there in the 10-minute mark into this program. This is uh, Aerial View Herd every Friday live over the uh, HoundNYC.com where you could hear Hound Howls on Sundays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time followed by Crashing the Party with Mark and Mir in the doo up chop-chop of the air at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. And that'll do it for me. Ah, yes.